Hi, I'm Gina Shock from the Go-Go's, fabulous drummer of the Go-Go's. Hi, this is Tony Levin of King Crimson. Hi, this is David Fishoff of the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Hi, this is Richard Evans. I am the author of Listening to the Music the Machines Make. Hi, this is Teresa Kariakis, punk rock photographer. Hi, I'm Tom Bojour, author of Nothing But a Good Time, and you are listening to Modern Musicology. Modern Musicology. Modern Musicology. You're listening to Modern Musicology, so, you know, Pay attention, you might learn something. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, music fans, and welcome to Modern Musicology. My name's Alan. Stephanie is here. Hello, everybody. Rob is here. Greetings and felicitations. And this week, we are talking about one of my absolute favorite topics. I have been a Saturday Night Live junkie since season two. Me too. It is now on season 48, so we're almost... A couple of years away from the 50th anniversary, and I've been watching pretty regularly since the very beginning. There was a little time in the 90s there when I kind of fell off because I was in college or whatever, and they were doing absolutely stupid crap like Goat Boy. But for the most part, I have been a consistent, regular viewer, catch it on the night that it happens kind of guy. So we are going to delve into the amazing and immense history of musical acts on Saturday Night Live. So before we get too into it, I want to know from you two where you began as an SNL viewer. What was when was the first time that you were watching and what was your most active period as a viewer? Same thing as you, Alan, although I think I'm a little couple years younger than you, but I started sneaking downstairs in 1976 when I was 10. Wow. Um, and you know, because all, I, I just remember being in grade school and everybody talking about it. And I knew I had to be the, like, cause it was like the cool thing, you know, yes. and everyone was discussing it and talking about the skits. And I was like, what are they talking about? So yep. I remember, I think a lot of people had like older siblings that were watching it. So I turned them on, but I was the older one in my family. So yeah, same here. Um, yeah. So 76 and, um, I think the my most active years as a viewer was when I was maybe like, it was probably the late 70s to early, early 80s. I mean, maybe just really the late 70s, you know, with like Gilda Radner and Garrett Morris and oh, yeah. Aykroyd and everybody. But I sort of then jumped to the like late 90s and early 2000s. I was kind of watching a lot that at that period too. Mm-hmm. But And it also sort of for me depended on who was on the on the desk i feel like you know like when tina fey and amy poehler were were news anchors i was really you know so there were certain periods like that that i Mm -hmm. yeah and and it it you know it kind of goes through its own little cycles where during an election year you feel like that show really ramps up to the challenge and gets really good so it goes through those sort of four-year cycles definitely so rob how about you 
So I kind of started it on the flip end of where you kids did. You know, I was maybe nine or 10 and I was watching with my brother um, in a little small black and white TV that he snuck over from my dad's workroom and plugged in to the bedroom so that he wouldn't get yelled at for watching the drug comedy. Um, Wow. (laughs) Right. um, So I remember sort of seeing a lot of different things. I remember the blues brothers. I don't, I didn't understand the context of it, but I remember seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I, I do the first memory of going, Oh my gosh, this is great. When I was kind of hooked on it was when I saw Bowie and Klaus Nomi. Um, mm-hmm. So I sort of followed it in the classic period through kind of the new wave eighties and into the nineties a bit. I lost touch with it a little bit. Um, probably between 91 and 93 because I was living in New York and I didn't have the best TV reception um, in my apartment in Brooklyn. So the early 90s are kind of a wasteland that I've gone and and caught up. But mostly, you know, I'm a child of a certain generation. So for me, it's that like late 70s, 80s stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, on one of our previous episodes recently, I mentioned – that my first exposure to Devo was through Saturday Night Live. Me too. So I'm curious to know what other uh, bands or artists you got your first exposure. Like what what were some of the people that SNL introduced to you? I believe Elvis Costello was one of the first. Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And um, he was on, he's one of my, he was what I was going to talk about, like as a favorite, um, but that it, I saw that, uh, the radio, radio performance, you know, yeah. the one that he just switched it up in the middle, or it was just, he played a few seconds, of like less than zero, and then he just switched it up and played radio, radio. And mm. I was like, what is going, I remember being like, what is happening? What is happening? Like people are, you know, it was yeah. like a weird, did he make a mistake? Like I, I remember being not sure what was happening at all. So that I think Elvis was something that really stands out to me. Oh yeah. That's yeah. a good one. I think in terms of, of somebody that I saw that I probably never would have experienced before, um, Chris Stapleton. I actually remember seeing Chris Stapleton when he was on in 20, I think 2016, might be 2015, but I think it's 2016. And I didn't know anything about Chris Stapleton. I knew he was coming to an outdoor music festival here. I'd heard the name and stuff. And then I sh- saw his set and I'm like, this is hmm. peeling away whatever John label you want to talk about it. This is a guy who's got a great voice, who's doing it old school. I remember seeing Chris Stapleton going, I feel like I'm transported to SNL in 1979 or 78, just in terms of like, it's all about the musicianship and the voice and not the costumes and the, Oh, I'm cool dancing around stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So I do remember that. And then I'm going to, I'm going to throw a weird curveball. Um, the very first time I ever heard Pavarotti was on Saturday Night Live. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I've learned to really appreciate his career and stuff, but I just remember seeing that when he came out and I'm like, what is this? And then there's that voice. I'm just, just like, this cat owns the room. What is this? Right. Yeah. So those are kind of the two outside of my box people. I remember first early, early on, there's been tons since. Cause for oh, me, for me, who's yeah. um, a person listens to a lot of indie music. Uh, I love SNL cause it's my way to sort of keep a pulse on, pop stuff. Oh yeah. 
Totally. Because uh, I yeah, don't listen to commercial radio a lot. That's what happened to me. Like I, there another another one that I wanted to get into detail in a little bit, but Billie Eilish. Uh, I that was the first time oh, I had yeah. seen her and heard her. Yeah. And to to be honest, I wasn't. I was not. I didn't like her singing. I wasn't like blown away or anything by her, but. Um, the, the performance itself was crazy. So we'll talk about that more, but that's something on that, you know, on to your point, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ones, I, and I, I don't remember if I had ever heard the song first and then saw it on SNL. I think it, I didn't though. I think the first exposure that I ever got to the B-52s was on, and this was what, 1980, I think it was. And, um, they played rock lobster and dance this mess around. And I think that was my first exposure to them. And I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on with this. This is, it was like the weirdest thing I had ever seen. Um, I did not like it. I didn't appreciate it. Um, later I became a huge B-52s fan, but my, so my first exposure and it was not the one that actually sold me on them was on SNL. Now, you know, they, they, they appeared a second time too in like 90, I forget what year, but they, they did cosmic, I guess 1990, they did cosmic thing and, uh, a second song. I don't remember what the, um, I don't remember the second one. And I don't think I even saw that first run. I think I caught that later on. And I remember that cosmic thing, the tempo was really slow and, and it's such an, uh, such a fun dance rock song the tempo is super important. And so I don't know why I mean bringing that up because that's not, that's not a first exposure, but I do remember that it was a weird performance. And that first one just like boggled my mind. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Similarly, talking heads, my first real exposure to them was seeing them do uh, take me to the river. And it was so strange because even the way that they recorded it, he sang it completely differently and he really exaggerated it and did a lot of like vocal tricks and a lot of like weird stuff. And I was like, I, I did not have a very open mind when it came to music in the seventies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. was very, I was very sort of like, this is, this is what I like. This is what I think is good. And SNL exposed me to a ton of stuff that was outside of that. Definitely. So I think it's one of the things, it's one of the things that started to really make me think differently about music. Those are two really out there examples too. I mean, those bands yeah. are, they are weird when you see them for, it is like seeing Devo, Devo for the first time. You know, when yeah. you said that, um, I had thought really that Jenny Davis was, who was my bunkmate in camp had introduced me to Devo, but no, because I recalled that I had seen them before then, you know, when the album was released. And I think it was just a couple months later that they, that they played SNL. And that was the first time that I saw them. I was like, what the hell? And then I connected it at camp. I remember like, oh, that was that band, that weird oh, band yeah. I saw. Yeah. But with that, their, their, that was weird, you know? With their Rolling Stones cover. Mm-hmm. With their blasphemous, blasphemous uh, rejigging of the, the, the classic, I can't yes. get no satisfaction. And you're like... It, it was almost like they're intentionally like throwing it in your face. Like we are different and we're going to show you how different we are by ruining this classic song. And I think I might've said this on another podcast when we were talking about Devo, yeah. but I didn't know the yeah. Rolling Stones version at that point. So to me, that was just, what is this thing? I didn't mm-hmm. even know what, you know, 
Didn't even know the song. <laughs> yeah, it was it was audacious. Yeah. To say the least. <laughs> and they're another one that I didn't get for a, a, a while after that. I remember seeing Lizzo and SZA, you know, artists that I heard and loved yeah. uh, their songs, but I just didn't really um, know much about them. Yeah. And uh, just like going, okay, what is this? You know, I think that uh, my opinion of Taylor Swift changed. Not that I didn't mm. dislike her. I just was kind of, kind of like, She's in her own corner. All the popular kids like her. I agree, Rob, with that. Um, and I think that was probably a very seminal moment in her career as well. So there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. There's there's a ton of things. You know, the Arcade Fire when they were on, even though I had the record and heard them, mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, this is something completely beyond, you know, there's nine of them. What the hell? They were so good, too. They were that yeah. was such a good show. Um, I've got another recent one somebody that I might not have ever heard, but became a favorite because I saw him on SNL. And that is, this is just like the end of last year, the last year season, Japanese breakfast. Oh my God. So Japanese breakfast is a, a girl named Michelle's honor. And uh, she performs under the name Japanese breakfast. And, but she's also an author. So I already knew her from the book that she wrote, which was called uh, crying in the H Mart. And it and she it just exploded and it was hugely popular. So that book crossed my path an awful lot. And I knew from that she performs music under the name Japanese Breakfast. And I'm like, well, that's super cool. I don't have any idea what that is, but fine. And then they were the on the final episode of last year's season and absolutely blew me away. Hmm. I was so super impressed with the songs and with the performance yeah. and it was just fantastic. So Google thanks that. SNL for, you know, introducing me to Japanese breakfast and making, making her one of my favorites. Yeah. I really learned to appreciate her more after that. Uh, the same with Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. Um, and also Brandy Carlisle. Um, oh yeah. I'm getting to that later. <laughs> um, they're both artists. I'm like, okay, I listened to their albums and stuff, but like, you know, it's kind of like when they're on SNL, they're a little un, unblemished by, you know, the sheen of popular TV shows and things. They can kind of cut loose and kind of do their own thing a little bit. So there is there is still, despite, you know, the aging of the show and whatever you say about the cast and stuff, the music is still able yeah. to be raw and uh, scratch some nerves and do some interesting things. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about some of our favorites, some of our standout performances over the last 48 years. What are some of the things that really stick out in your mind as being like a milestone or a real hallmark of, of the, your time watching the show? Nirvana. Yeah. Oh. That might be like my one. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's my number one, but it, it <laughs> but definitely Nirvana. I mean, that's, yeah. man, I mean, obviously I knew who they were and I, and I loved them, whatever, but just, I, I think that just totally broke up open grunge to, to the whole country, to hold the whole yeah. world. I mean, that was like, it just made them massive superstars in this yeah. blink of an eye. Um, right. And the crazy thing was that, you know, they did play teen spirit, of course, but then they were, they played uh, a B side for their second uh, song, yeah. which kind of nobody expected. They territorial pissings. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then they trashed everything. So, yeah. oh yeah. 
And then they also like started making out with each other during the roll, roll, credits rolling. So that was kind of interesting too. <laughs> the whole thing was just so in your face. They were just yeah. in your face. Oh, that's good. You know, there's there's a lot of regret for me in that Nirvana show that I'll, I'll tell you about later. For me, the Strokes, uh, who were on, I think, in 2002, mm-hmm. um, mainly just like, okay, I heard their records. They can make a three-minute song. They're pretty boys. They're New York. They're cool. Can they play rock and roll? And they could. So, um, yeah. so that. Um, also, from recently, the LCD Sound System show was also bonkers. When it they was. It was yeah. like it was bonkers in the same way that the Arcade Fire was. It's like, what are they doing? They're nuts. They're crazy. I do remember seeing. I remember seeing Bowie, and I remember seeing Queen. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the first times that I saw Queen. I mean, I'd heard Queen, but I never saw Queen. It's like thirteen or fourteen, right? And I, I have to say, I saw the Sinead O'Connor thing happen. Oh, yeah. In real time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, people always think of, oh, my God, she tore up a picture of the Pope. But people forget about is that she did a cover of Bob Marley's War. Yeah. With no band. Yep. And just her voice. And you're just like, okay, wow, this voice is like. And she's just staring you down directly to camera. She's just looking like right into your face. And like almost like so intense, she was almost. Yes. It was looked like she was almost in tears, or you know, yes. she was just so angry and intense. Right. Yeah, I'm just like I'm not going to make this woman mad ever. But man, I mean, uh, what an amazing talent who has just yeah. made career choices that are let us just say interesting. But <laughs> at that particular moment, she was pretty friggin' great. And do you remember after she tore the picture up, like the audience just didn't know no. how to react. That's yes. something I remember too. It was like, yeah. everyone was like, <gasps> and then they cut, you know, they cut it to commercial yeah. and they, cause I think they didn't know what to do. <laughs> and that was, that was, a, a, she did that live on air that yep. did not happen in the dress rehearsal. They knew that she was going to tear a picture, but it, it had nothing to do with what she actually did on stage. So they had no warning that she was going to be pulling that picture out on stage and ripping it in half the way that she did it. Yeah. It was really a shocking moment. Yeah. But wow. Such a statement. So powerful. I mean, you know, and, and as, you know, as somebody who puts out records at the time, I'm sure record label people are like, oh, my God, we just sold a million records. Oh, my God, we just lost a million records. Yeah, yeah, basically. So I remember watching that moment just going, what is going to happen with this? In the same way I, I thought about Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Another weird one for me that is probably completely unimportant to most people is I remember seeing Frankie Goes to Hollywood on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. In the full-on hype of all the Frankie say this stuff. And that is an example of just a hype machine in action and just, you know, a band that's riding a wave. They're huge. They're massively big. Can they back this up and say what you want about their musicianship or whatever? They were very showy and almost, almost very glam. Oh um, yeah. And how they, how they did that. And I just remember watching that feeling very cool that like, okay, I do like this band. I'm all right. You know, um, cause the album is so much deeper than, than the one song. Well, since you mentioned it, I want to go back to the Bowie thing. Um, and this was in season 
five? Yeah, beginning near yeah. the beginning of season five. And at that time, this is in the first five years. At that time, usually a band just came out and played. And this was almost like uh, like a staging of three different music videos live. And um, he did Man Who Sold the World, TVC15, and Boys Keep Swinging, which were three really interesting choices and different costumes and staging for each one. And, you know, Klaus Nomi in, in the first one and the the woman's dress in the second one. And it was just crazy stuff. And then that crazy marionette, which they show his face, they green screen this puppet body underneath his his face so the body is dancing around <laughs> like it's on stage and they made him change one of the lyrics in the song because it um other boys check you out and they had to change that to something else but at the end the puppet like just shoots up this this like massive boner <laughs> out of his pants like repeatedly <laughs> and, and I guess they didn't see that happen in, in dress. So they never asked him not to do that. <laughs> it is so wacko. But the, the thing is that people always talk about that first performance because it is so jarring and so out there. But he actually appeared on SNL three more times. In 97, he did Little Wonder and as sort of a jab to Lauren Michaels, who he's like very close friends with did scary monsters because, um, Lauren Michaels said, you know, when, when I would used to do all the drugs, scary monsters scared the hell out of me. So he did that as sort of a, uh, sort of ribbing, um, Lauren Michaels. And he technically got banned from the show, but two seasons later he was back on, you know, they're, they're such yeah. good friends that, that eventually Lauren Michaels was like, I know you were just teasing me. So in 99, <laughs> they, he did uh, Thursday's child and uh, a rebel rebel. But in 91, before those two, he was on again with tin machine and played baby universal. And if there is something, and I remember all of those performances and they were all so good, but none of them were as shocking as that first one from uh, 79. Yeah. Just crazy. I remember, you know, pivoting off of what you said with tin machine. I hadn't really embraced the tin machine record at that mm. point. Yeah. And I just remember seeing that going, wow, the Tin Machine era of Bowie is something that I've only recently understood in like the last maybe 15 years because I was just not a loud person. And um, I remember seeing that going, man, he's doing something I just have no interest in. But man, it's incredible. I, I love those Tin Machine records. Can I talk about my time when I was, when I saw it, when I went oh, there? Absolutely. I forgot all about that. Yes, yes, yes. You okay. saw. SNL. I well, I went to the dress rehearsal. The dress, yeah, that's, yeah, that counts. It counts because it. First of all, it was I was like seventeen years old, and it was for <sighs> Duran Duran. Oh. I might have been actually sixteen if at that point. I think that I think I might have still been sixteen. Anyway, um, they were. You know, I was going to marry John Taylor, so I was going to go meet my boyfriend. Of course, of course, <laughs> of course, of course. You know, and um. I went with, I remember going with my friend, my stepmother got us these, uh, these dress rehearsal tickets. And it was just, not only do I remember, you know, just being in front of my favorite band in the whole world right then, which was, which was 
absolutely insane. Like everybody was like screaming for the audience was just so passionate and screaming for them and so happy to be there. And they were so happy to be there. Um, but just being in the studio, that legendary studio, yeah. you know, I remember walking down hallways. It was, I feel like it was a little bit of a less, it was more lenient at that point. I mean, we, it was a dress rehearsal and we were kind of wandering around. <laughs> we weren't just like <laughs> sitting in our seats. I do remember kind of walking hallways and stuff. And I was like, hmm. am I going to run into somebody maybe? <laughs> right. I don't know. It was like, just, it was, it was just maybe my, I feel like maybe my stepmom got us some kind of extra special passes or something like that. I don't really remember, but I just remember wandering hallways and hoping I would run into Duran Duran. That didn't happen. Oh, well. Yeah. But it was pretty cool just being in the studio. That was just, I knew yeah. even then, you know, I really could appreciate that this was some where some cool shit had gone down, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been there once on a studio tour. Mm-hmm. So I've never seen a, a, a taping of an episode, and I'm dying to do that. Yeah, you got to get tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you've got to, I, I really want to see how the show works, you know, how everything goes because there's three stages there's the the main stage at the in the middle where they do the opening monologue and they'll do weekend update and all that stuff and then there's the stage where the band performs and then there's the stage where most of the skits happen yeah and And, also in dress rehearsal like they did extra stuff yeah they do at least a two-hour dress and then they'll trim down what they don't want to go to the live show right yeah so dress is the time to see it because yeah, you, you see, more see stuff. all the stuff that's being considered for that night's show. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, so one of my, some of my like big standouts, and these are all from sort of like that um, early 80s period. Um, I remember when it was the episode that Flip Wilson hosted, which was the funniest damn episode ever. <laughs> and Stevie Nicks was the guest. And she was so good. They did stand back. Of course, that was right when um, her second solo album had come out. And uh, I remember a season after that, Tina Turner was the musical guest and did three songs. What's love got to do with it. Better be good to me and private dancer. And she was just phenomenal. But there was also, she did an appearance in one of the skits, um, Ed Grimley, hugely popular you know, very, very nerdy, weird character at the time who was all a flutter because the, the lady that he has his eye on the, the, this woman that he's in love with is coming over to borrow a cup of sugar or some crap. And you're just like, Oh my God, what freaking nerdy (laughs) character is this going to be? And then in walks Tina Turner, just looking like completely smashing (laughs) and, and Oh my God, she was so great. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. She's she, yeah, she's a stunner, isn't she? And yeah, she is. Well, you should know you had her your picture well, taken I, with yes, her. I do. <laughs> she is a stunner, I'll tell you that. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, another thing that um really made an impression on me was seeing Joe Cocker and John Belushi oh, yeah. standing next to like so. John Joe Cocker was the musical guest, and they did he did he was playing Feeling All Right. And John Belushi comes out dressed just like him, which I yeah. don't think Joe Cocker knew he was going to do that, like dress exactly like him in, in whatever. But um, he comes out and he starts, he took the second verse of the song, imitating mm-hmm. Joe Cocker right in front of Joe Cocker. It right. was so fantastic and so 
hilarious. Then he starts like drinking a beer on stage and he offers it to Joe Cocker and he's like, no, it's okay. <laughs> but he was just, that's so ballsy of Belushi, but it's also really gracious of Joe Cocker, you know? Yeah. Because that was a real big character for, for Belushi at that point, you know, doing Joe mm -hmm. Cocker imitation. Mm -hmm. Right. And also, you know, seeing the Blues Brothers for the first time. Um, and again, you you said this, Rob, you know, it was something maybe in the, con you couldn't appreciate the context at the age we were, you know, um, but, but just seeing Aykroyd and Belushi doing that act and, and also Garrett Morris giving a super great intro for the whole band. He really, he really like kicked it off and he, and then Belushi comes out and he does like a cartwheel and they start dancing and they play soul man. It was just, it was like the band was super tight too. That was a great performance. Yes, it was. It really is. And th that just did, you know, after that they recorded an album. Yeah. And, and it was a huge hit for them. So yeah. That was like, I feel like thing. one of the first like actors doing music kind of things, you know, that made that kind of a thing, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I remember this is one of my faves back in season 11. Sheila E was on <laughs> and that was on. No. Um, and I think it was just like two weeks later, Sade. Holy shit. I love Sade mm -hmm. so much. And they did Is It a Crime and Sweet Taboo. And that was on an episode that was hosted by Tom Hanks, which also ended up being a really like, solid episode. Like the whole episode is really funny. And then you get this great musical performance in the middle of it. I love when that so, happens, when it's a great show and a yeah. great music guest. Yeah. I also like it when a good musical guest can really save a shitty episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, Lord. You know, we were talking about Elvis Costello before and his uh, radio, radio performance. But yeah. did you guys see when the Beastie, one, another one, favorite one of mine was Beastie Boys, when they came out and they started doing one of their songs, I believe. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, they, they were doing Sabotage. And then they launched into Radio Radio and Elvis came out and started oh. and did it with them. I yeah. never saw that. Oh, my God. that You have to Google that then or YouTube. Oh, it. It's fantastic. so great. You know, one of the things about this whole discussion that we're having is that most of most all of these musical performances are not to be found anywhere. They aren't on most of them aren't on YouTube. They've never been released with reruns of the episodes. I mean, network reruns. Yes, but uh -huh. not on like the syndicated ones, you know, like when Comedy Central does the SNL reruns, they're never there. Um the first five seasons were released on DVD, and this was years back. And they they bought up all the the broadcast right or the the resale rights for all the music. So all of those episodes that were released on the from the first five years on DVD are intact. Okay. Everything else is not, and they're in the archive somewhere, but they're never like publicly you know made available unless they rerun. Like NBC reruns one of those old episodes from the, the you know, years ago. It'll be on that. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, so it, you can't, hard. so you, maybe you can't find it. I mean, well, well you can try. I, I don't you can. know. Yeah, yeah. You might be able to find something on like one of those pirate places like Daily Motion or something. Mm -hmm. But there was one today that I was trying to track down and I can't find it anywhere. Which one? And there's, what? well, um, but if, well, I, I, it's under my category of worst oh. performances ever. Okay, so we won't. <laughs> so we'll it. get to that. We'll get. Yeah, I have one more best one. If, oh yeah, sure. 
Of course. Um, which is U2. Did you guys see the U the U2 one? Rob, mm. uh, he's going to fight. I, this is the, I knew fight. this was, I knew our friendship was going to be in jeopardy at this point. Um, <laughs> it was going to be one of the two things that we were going to fight about. Uh, wow. I'll say that I was excited to see, you know, look, I'm not a fan. I'm not a, a fan of later U2 stuff in, in the way I was in, in, uh. of the first, maybe five or six albums. I love, I like them, a lot of them, but I, some of them I don't like. So when they played Vertigo and sometimes you can't make it on your own, I, it was like, okay. But then when they launched into I Will Follow and you see the mm. fucking cast going bananas, like it, they were losing their shit. It was like they're all of a sudden they were getting a, a free U2 concert. Like right. that was so exciting. And that was just, and then, you know, they just played out. See, and that's, this is what bugs me. Okay. If they just would have done that, no. that is the U2 that people fell in love But they had a new album love. to promote. They, right. I know. I know. I get that. No, I totally get that. The, that is the moment, you know, that people love. That's the band that people love. But then, like, I'm watching them do Vertigo, and I'm watching Bono, and I'm just like, dude, get over yourself. It was like the whole, like, right around that record, he was just so self-indulgent. I just well, was yeah. like, I couldn't. It was just like, oh, God, just, you know, and, and if you watch that and you watch him play it, Adam Clayton, there's a there's a there's a really couple moments when Adam Clayton and the Edge look at each other. That is very interesting that I would love to know what those looks mean. I'll have to look and try to find that. <laughs> it was just like, OK, this is a guy who's like self-indulgent, not a control. And I'm I, I can't deal with this. And, and compared to the early records, I'm just like, this is. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not discotheque. Thank God. But um, yeah. I'm just like, oh, my God, can we? I, I mean, I was very happy when it did I Will Follow because I'm like, OK, this band that I thought is completely sold out still has their teeth. And, you know, right? I wish I could have hung around or they just could have just kept playing that show because maybe they played more songs for the, for everyone. You don't know. We don't know. Well, like the Arcade Fire, they, they played like, I think, 30, 40 minutes after they went off. The, oh, they kept playing. Right. That's so cool. um, like they did at the Grammys. So, hmm. you know, so. Sorry, Steph. That's okay. I understand. I do. Friendship intact. <laughs> we are okay. Right. All right. So, uh, Stephanie, you mentioned Billie Eilish a minute ago, and that's one of the ones I wanted to bring up, too. So I'm curious to know what performer's appearance on SNL completely changed your opinion of them. And I've got a list of them. The first one on my list is Billie Eilish. Yeah. Because I tried. I mean, she was one of those. She's like the new important artist. She's the one that's the industry darling. She's the one that wins all the awards. And I'm like, there's got to be something here that's just I'm missing. And I would try. I tried to listen to those albums and I tried to like her and I just hated it. Yeah, because. She just has to do this. I know. And that's and what I didn't to like to her songs like this. And, and so she was both musical guest and host. And I thought, all right, well, let me see what she's got. And first of all, as a host, she was wonderful. She showed you her silly side and her funny side. And, you know, she yeah. really like put herself in the skits. But then the performances fucking blew me away. I was like, Holy shit. This is what I've been missing from her. She was just forceful and powerful and in the moment and just 
tearing it up. And it was amazing. I thought she was really charismatic and I yeah. loved, like I said, that zero or not zero gravity, but that gravity, you know, cube thing they built and it just looked like she was walking on the walls and the thing. I thought the visuals were cool, but I still wasn't crazy about her voice, to be honest. I was mm -hmm. like, but I thought she was pretty commanding. I mean, she was only 17, I think, right? At that time. She was yeah, she's you know, just think about the pressure to host a show and to be right. the musical guest. And she was right. seventeen. That takes balls. Um, True. but I, I, I have grown to appreciate her more as time has gone on. And also I feel like she sings now more, more powerfully. And I like that better than the whisper stuff. That's not my yeah. thing. Right. And I always compare it to like her and her brother make their records like basically in her bedroom. And I always think, well, she's trying to be quiet to not wake the parents in the next room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> She learned to, out of necessity, she learned to be <laughs> Right. <laughs> the first couple of times I saw Tom Petty on, I really learned to appreciate Tom Petty a lot more too. I'm like, okay, I get this. I totally get why people like Tom Petty. It was very much an acquired taste, you know. As a music person, I came to Tom Petty and Jackson Brown later, um, mm -hmm. you know, after, after punk and new wave. Um, but I just really thought that his songs translated well and that his band was good. I didn't know at the time that Dave Grohl would go on to be Dave Grohl because Dave Grohl was his drummer uh, when he was on SNL. Yes, that's right. And, um, Tom Daddy? Yeah. Yeah, he played with them, yeah. I never knew that. On that, yeah. yeah. I don't so know if I, they toured together or anything, but it right. was just that show. Yeah. I just remember being very much impressed by that. Uh, I know we talked about Phoebe Bridgers. You know, Brandy Carlisle was great. Uh, it's the first time I saw Lana Del Rey. I know Anthony wanted to mention Lana Del Rey. And I thought her, her voice was interesting. And some of the songs that she picked out were interesting, too. He, I wasn't sure. Anthony hates I, them. I wasn't he sure. That was the worst performance ever. Here, here's the thing. I didn't. I love her voice. And I love her songwriting when I read it. But I don't always love the presentation. But I, I remember... My, my way of interpreting this question is, am I curious about the artist enough to explore them more? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the same way that, you know, Phoebe Bridgers and, um, Brandy Carlisle made me want to explore them more. This is one of those. I'm like, okay, this could be interesting. You know, I, I literally left that performance going, is this interesting? And I just don't get it. Or is this just weird? And I still don't really know um, because I think as a songwriter, she's really good, but I don't always think the execution is there. So she's kind of a conundrum for me, but they're, they're one of the bands I definitely love. Um, I love seeing Springsteen on. I'm, this is the first time I saw Springsteen live was on SNL. Um, and I just thought that was, that was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, an artist that uh, I remember thinking different of too was Chance the Rapper. Hmm. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, because I just thought he was so different and just, you know, mm -hmm. everyone talks about Kanye, 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 but I just thought his approach, I mean, as a, as a rapper and somebody who does hip hop, I just thought the whole way he did it, the presentation, the, the style and everything, it was just so different than a lot of the, the hip hop stuff they get on there. And I just, yeah. I just thought it was really musicianship worthy. I really liked it. Hmm. I have two that really changed the way I thought about, the, or that really impressed me and one of them was the White Stripes. I I don't know. I never really was into them so much. And then I saw them and I was just like, 
I don't know. There was something just about seeing two people up there just playing, you know, that band, that that band live was phenomenal. They had something going on thing. I mean, and, and Meg White is a great drummer. Uh, Meg White's no Stephanie Seymour, but she's a great drummer. Um, I think she's and there's something weird, but okay. there was something about the way his voice was just kind of crooked and her drumming was kind of crooked yeah. in conventional pop terms that worked. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And so I, I think that made me sort of appreciate them more and explore them more. But I hate his solo records. <laughs> I don't really, I don't know. I can't, I can't say yay or nay. But uh, the other one was Radiohead. Did you see 2000? Oh, oh wow. That, that was... I look, I loved them, but just to see their intensity and his intensity, uh, really, but together as just this this powerful force, I I, yeah. I feel like they really they really nailed that performance. Yeah, so, I, I know quirks and all, but I mean, it was great. It was really it was really powerful. One of the ones that really really turned me around, and it was more her as a host than it was as a musical performance. I never really got Lady Gaga. I didn't really like the music. Uh, There was a couple of songs like Bad Romance is is really catchy. So I eventually kind of liked that a little bit, but she was kind of like Madonna for me. Madonna at the very beginning, I was like total flash in the pan. Yes. Yeah, this is not going anywhere. You know, this is just like pop for the sake of like cashing i don't know yeah. i just never really got it it never impressed me but lady gaga had uh, appeared a couple of times and then she hosted and as a host she was fantastic she would do anything that they asked her to and including like poking fun at herself yeah like she would make herself the the object of some of the jokes and i love that but the final skit of the night was this really, really sort of melancholy. It was, it was funny, but there was also this, this touch of sadness about it. And it was, uh, she was playing herself as an old woman living in this high rise apartment, completely alone, washed up. No one remembered her and she would break stuff in her apartment just to get the superintendent to come up. So she would have someone to talk to. Oh God. And the the thing is that and this is so this is way off in the future. Everybody remembered Beyonce, <laughs> but nobody remembered Lady Gaga. And it was so sweet yeah. and it was so touching. And and so from her hosting that show, I um, I'm all on board with Lady Gaga. There's been a few other ones like Janelle Monet. I don't remember which season she was on, but it was kind of one of those like there hadn't been a lot of really interesting stuff happening that season. And then all of a sudden Janelle Monet was on and she tore that room up and she really impressed me. She was fantastic. But since we were mentioning Brandy Carlisle earlier, I will say um, in 2019, I heart did a big tour with um, basically with other uh, women artists as support acts. Um, and, the, we in Atlanta, we saw them with uh, with Brandy Carlisle and Brandy Carlisle blew me away. I did not expect to like because the only thing I knew by her was the story. And that's an OK song. It's fine. You know, but I thought oh, the whole show was going to be like that. Sacrilege. And she what sacrilege, I'd say. Oh, I love it now. But at the time I was like, eh, it's fine. But but they really, really impressed me. And so 
when the new album came out and they did SNL back in season 47. So this is just last year. Um, and they did Broken Horses and Right on Time. I was floored by how good that was. Just unbelievably good. And that was my favorite performance of that season. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, we've been seeing Brandy for years, 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 years. We've yeah. seen so many shows. So I to see that, that was something that we were so happy about to, to have her like break to a massive audience. Cause really yeah. for years, we just kept saying, okay, this is the album that's going to break her. Okay. This is the album that's going to break her. It's just <laughs> right. like, why, why can't she just, and she finally just got yeah. this push, you know, and we, it's just like, she deserves, there is like no one more deserving. What a voice. I agree. I agree. She is a super talent as a songwriter, as a singer, as a musician, all of it as yeah. a performer. I mean, she is, I am so glad that she is finally a on my radar and B on most everybody else's radar. As yeah. Well. It took a long time and she worked her ass off. Yeah. And later, later that season that was uh, Taylor Swift, the second or third time she had been on and uh, had just released the re-recording of the red album. And one of the uh, bonus tracks on that album was a 10 minute version of the album song all too well. And so instead of doing two separate performances, they did one 10 minute segment in the middle of the show. And she just played all too well, the whole thing. And it was amazing. She was so good. That's so cool. And then um, the, the very beginning of last season, so again, season 47, um, the yeah, yeah, yeahs were supposed yes. to appear in the second episode and they couldn't do it because their guitarist ended up in the hospital with pneumonia. And I kept hoping that um, they would, oh no, the second episode this season, uh, season 48, sorry. Um, and I kept hoping that they would be on sometime this season because I really love the new album and I love the singles that they've released from it. And no, sadly, they were not booked back on. Um, but their replacement, kind of a last minute replacement, was Willow, Will Smith's kid. And she was amazing. Her her mother is a headbanger. And obviously, Willow has grown up in that mind frame where she, because she had her guitar, she had her shaved head, she had her leather, and she just rocked. And it was amazing. So that was one of my recent favorites. All right, let's jump into worst performances ever. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Ashley Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what a flipping train wreck that was! <laughs> I don't think there's any any doubt. Well, it was just you know, I mean, it's not like she actually got even to perform anything. She just had to leave this. She basically almost just left the stage. She just kind of wandered aimlessly after, uh, you know, one song started and her voice came in f from a track from another song, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and she really didn't yeah. handle it well. No, she did not. No. Oh my God. And that's, the, that's when, you know, I was, I think that was during, what was that? 20, I don't remember what year that was. It was 2004. 2004. That's what, okay, that's right. And at that time I was like, kind of like a casual viewer, you know? Yes. And that was when I was like, I didn't see it. Yeah. I didn't see it live. 
And I thought, holy shit, I missed a big thing go down by not seeing it live. I will never miss another live show. (laughs) (laughs) And for the most part, I've stuck to that. Sometimes I get home late and I'll, you know, watch it on DVR or whatever. But I try to see every episode live because I don't want to miss another big old train wreck like that. You know, that's the, 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 the thing of, you know lip syncing you know you're you could have a real problem yeah yeah and and yeah. she did on, on, on live tv so hmm. right so i would say that's probably the worst i mean there there's plenty of bad ones like i feel like the replacements had a disastrous show oh, yeah right <clears throat> rob yes yes <laughs> i mean they they were sloppy they were screaming at each other i think uh paul westerberg was like like, come on, fucker, at, at Stinson, and Bob Stinson. Um, and I don't know. They, uh, I think they got a lifetime ban from that, too, by Lorne. Yeah, I think they did. That was pretty bad. I mean, they were trying to make it raucous and fun, but I just don't think it... I mean, you know, they're the, the replacements. So they're, they're, you, you know, if you know them, and if you've seen them, you're in for a great amazing show or like it could be a train wreck it could be and that's just the chance you take there you go unfortunately again live tv yeah exactly i thought another one that was equally bad was technotronic and i don't remember the year i didn't look it up but i was trying to find a video of their performance today because the way i remember it it was so awful. Like, I don't know if How it was just, awful was it? yeah, I don't know if it was just a monitor issue. Like the singer, your kid K, I don't think she could hear. And the way that I saw it at the time, I thought it was like a pre-recorded thing that went wrong, but oh. maybe it was just that like her monitor or something wasn't working and she didn't have a good sense of what the band was doing, but her vocals were completely off and well, it was she... just terrible. I think she later it later came out that she didn't actually sing on the record. That's well, that's which could have been part of it. Right. That's what I'm thinking. But I was reading today when I was trying to find a video of the performance, I was reading something where somebody had posted that she it was on a Reddit and she was uh, curious to know if your kid K was uh, on socials anywhere and she's really not. But she had posted somewhere on a Reddit wondering if anybody had a recording of their performance on SNL because she wanted to see it again. Wow. So that's how, that's how it's like some of this stuff is really not available online to the point where the performer can't even find it. Yeah. You would think like, <laughs> and they has could to ask least, fans. <laughs> right. You think they would at least be able to call the show and be like, Hey, can you do me a solid and get me a Dude, tape? <laughs> if, if I could, if I could get access to that archive, I would never leave. <laughs> I would watch every minute of 48 years of SNL and never leave. Your life would be that. <laughs> my, that would be my life from that point on. That's funny. <laughs> Especially the music performance, because there's a lot of them that I haven't, haven't seen since they've aired. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's just that Under the Bridge performance by the Red Hot Chili Peppers was oh, not, my, not my thing. Yeah. I probably hated it more than the U2. Um, I'm just like, this is self-indulgent and stupid and please let flea be flea. Um, you know, they're holding flea back. Who's one of the best players in the world. And they're holding this guy back. And it was just like, it was a bad, I, I, it's still a horrible song. Under the bridge is a friggin' terrible song. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's that. <laughs> Uh oh. Friendship's in jeopardy again. <laughs> All right. Let's see how it is. Um, and also, you know, I hate to say this, but that Gogosh thing on SNL was a friggin' mess. Yeah, they weren't so great, but they were, ta- I feel like they were. Super- they talk about it on the documentary. Yeah, they yes. were super, so, like out all night, uh, pretty yeah, much yeah. druggy, um, and, you know. That's a lesson on if you're going to be on network television the next yeah. day, this is what not to do. Yeah, try to get mm-hmm. some sleep and. Yeah. <laughs> right. But- Live a better life, man. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I want to talk about some of the some of the non-musical performances because either a musical guest will be in a skit or some of the skits will do impressions of famous musicians. So let's talk about some of your favorite musical skits or impersonations. What are some of the I've got a list of these. So what are some of the ones that you that you really love? The most recent one that I loved that I just remember thinking was awesome was when they did Jesus Christ super uh, subway car. Um, with John John Mulaney was the was the host. Yeah. And David Byrne was actually in the skit and yeah. came out and sang at the end. That was, that was terrific. phenomenal. That was just great. And then um, also, well, the last time the Arcade Fire were on, they were actually in a skit, which I thought was really funny too. I love anything with Maya Rudolph because she can totally sing. Like her mom is Minnie Riverton yeah. and she's really got a great voice. But um, there's a thing she did, the Star Spangled Banner, where, and she totally mangled it. But she was like, yes. she was doing it like singing it with all the flourishes and like, you know, crazy, you know, vocal runs and stuff and just totally take, you know, send up of like all the people who, you know, mangle it in, yeah. for live, you know, games and stuff. But um, I have a couple others, but Anna Gasteyer and Will Ferrell as um, Marty and Bobby Culp when they were doing oh, those man. medleys, you yes. know, yeah. the high school, yes. they're like high school teachers <laughs> and oh, they're they, so they were funny. like really optimistic. Like they're so, they're just completely oblivious because the audience you could kind of tell are, is, is like kind of coming at them and like throwing shit at them sometimes. And they're just like you know, Hey, everything's great. And they're doing these crazy medleys. So that was some of my favorite stuff. And then I really love Fred Armisen too, because he can play drums like really well. And he always did. I, the Ferrisito skit was probably my favorite thing he did with the, um, you know, the nightclub comedian from Venezuela. And he'd be like, Oh, Dio mio. And he'd be like, you know, (laughs) I hated those. Oh no! Now my friendship Wait, with Stephanie friendship is in, in jeopardy. Oh, I'm going to no. be fired from this podcast. This, this, no, this is the most disastrous fine. episode ever. <laughs> I wasn't a big Armisen fan to start with. Okay, but but I'll tell you one of the things since you mentioned Maya Rudolph, one of the things that they did yeah. together that I thought was so brilliant was they would do Prince and Beyonce. Oh my God, <laughs> that would make me laugh so hard. Yeah. Oh man. And yes, also, I totally remember that. Yes. And also Maya, when she would do Whitney oh. and she'd be like, Bobby, Bobby B. Totally. That would crack me up every time. <laughs> One of so the awesome. funniest things I have ever seen in the history of SNL is Stevie Nicks fajita roundup. What? Have you ever seen that? No. Oh my God. 
So it's Lucy Lawless of all people. And the first time I ever saw this skit was on like a compilation. And it, so it wasn't from uh, the episode that she hosted. And I was like, who is that playing Stevie Nicks? And so they would uh, take a couple of Stevie songs and they would change the lyrics to be about a like a commercial for her fajita restaurant. Holy <laughs> shit. And it would be stuff like, you know, like landslide, you know, and I saw my reflection in a big old plate of nachos kind of thing. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. And she's talking about, you know, back in the seventies uh, when I was addicted to Lindsay Buckingham, magic and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny. Oh my God. That is one of my favorite things I've ever, ever done. They used to do back in the nineties. I think it was, they used to do a couple of VH one behind the music skits. Yes. And one of them, and I don't remember what the subject of the skit was, um, but they're talking about, you know, and they, and they would get the guy who narrated behind the music to narrate the skits. So you have the voice and everything. And he's like, um, everything was going well and they're having hit records and suddenly tragic tragedy struck. And then a different narrative voice came on and said, and suddenly tragedy stuck is a trademark of VH1. <laughs> and that, that cracked me up. The skit was okay, but that, that one thing, that insertion was so funny. Yeah. It's such a parody. Like it's so true. <laughs> right. There was um, a really great character that Kristen Wiig did with the it was the <laughs> it was the three beautiful Dunice sisters. Uh, I mean, um, oh my the, god, you know, the, yes. the Morel sisters, and she played Dunice, like the, the yes. one with the tiny hands. <laughs> oh my god, she was so funny. Balding. She was like, too funny, like the awkward sister with the tiny hands. I think the first time they did that was Anne Hathaway was was the host, and she was one of the the. Yeah. Morel sisters. That sounds right. I, I think that was so funny. Oh my God. Yeah. So hilarious. I, I have to say too, you know, as much as it's overused and brought into the mainstream of the world, the cowbell skit is still great. Oh, yes. Like that. You're right. That's the best of all time. You're yes. right. And I just thought like, this is so incredibly stupid and awesome and great. <laughs> and I love that. The other thing, too, which kind of started on SNL and pivoted into a whole side thing is that whole Steve Martin King Tut thing, right? Yeah. Um, mm. I, right. you know, I remember seeing that, uh, seeing him do a bunch of this crazy stuff on SNL. And then my sister's playing her his record mm -hmm. in my in her bedroom. I'm like, and laughing and singing along to it and stuff. And I think that that really helped him kind of set out his path as a musician now. But I think that's an interesting skit too, in terms of how that brings that around full circle as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah. even though it's not the real deal, the what's up with that skits where they always have, I was just going to say that what's up there with and that. he never does anything. Those <laughs> right. are just amazing. When he's like dancing on the side, there's like one guy dancing and just like, it's so, those yeah. are so hilarious. And they did a skit with, um, Oh God! Oh, this is even painful to talk about. They did a skit once with Joe Piscopo, where they did a spoof on the Sinatra. Um, oh yes, the, yeah. the Sinatra duets. Oh yeah, yes. they did Ebony and Ivory, I think. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> that was brilliant, and Eddie Murphy played uh, Stevie Wonder. Just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. God, another one. You know, we were talking about the Blues Brothers, and there was another one from that time. Gilda used to do this character called Candy Slice, 
and it was kind of a, a Patty Smith send up where she was just completely strung out and couldn't even stand up. And the only time that she could function is when the song starts and she's at the microphone and she's actually singing that one. I love that one. Um, you got to mention Dick in a Box. Oh, my God. That was the best. Oh, my God. Great. And I hated it. Hated it <laughs> when it first happened because I thought, well, this is just trash. This is potty humor. This is lowbrow. SNL does not need to stoop to this, you know. But now I think it's one of the funniest damn things oh, I've ever God. seen. And also Justin Timberlake doing, what was the character? He was, like, dressed up as a, was it a banana? Wait, I have Oh, the salesman. The, on yes, the sidewalk? Uh, yes. What What was he dressed up as? Oh, he, Different things every time he did it. I know. Here, wait. We have to get that. Um, and it was like, uh, come on down to whatever town. And he would. it would be a different bring it on one. Down each... to, bring it on down to, um, oh, hold on, Justin Timberlake. They did. He did it at least five times, and it was a different scenario. They did a Christmas one. They did. Like he did bring it on down to Omelette Town. Like he would do whatever it was. Really. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Those he was a phenomenal host. Every time he was on, he was just the perfect host. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that that's great. <laughs> bring it on down to Lickerville. Right. <laughs> God, it was so funny. All right. So let's take a quick break here and we'll be right back and do some picks of the week. See you in a second. What are people saying about the best Saturdays of our lives podcast? Yes, what are they saying? It's a refreshing blend of nostalgia and academia. I like the animation programming strategy. I tune in for the amazing celebrity interviews. An insider's glimpse behind the scenes of your most beloved childhood memories. What's your website? Uh, the best Saturdays of our lives .com. And the amazing ESO Network. And here we are. We are going to talk about our picks of the week. And I'll bet you we've got a lot of great stuff. I know I have at least one good one. Rob, what, what's taking your attention this week? I'll lead with um, the new Beach House EP called Become, which is uh, was released on Record Store Day on some fancy colored vinyl mm -hmm. thing that the kids stood in line for. And uh, they decided that they put it out for their fans. So it's out. It's uh, a bunch of songs that were didn't really fit on the last record and doesn't don't really fit where the band is going, but they thought that together they sort of made sense. Mm -hmm. So that's out now. It's pretty great. Also, um, another person who's been doing records forever who just does not get the love he deserves is Mr. Lloyd Cole, Aww. who has a new record called Warm by, F Warm, uh, Warm by Fire. That's the new single. And his album, which is coming out, is called On Pain. And um, it's good to have him back. He's just a terrific singer and songwriter who just doesn't get. Yeah, I love him. Nearly. Yeah. So I'm really happy that that's coming out. The album's coming. Also, um, Patty Mackey is um, an English you know, performer, artist and stuff. She performs under the name of Art School Girlfriend. And she has a single called Close to the Clouds that's out. It's from their EP, Soft, uh, from their soft uh, Landing record that's coming out. And she's been kind of doing this sort of like a DIY thing on her own. But it's kind of like this, you know, kind of Portishead, kind of Bjork, kind of The Cure, kind of like washed out kind of stuff with female singer. And it's it's really interesting and it's really clever. So I'd re recommend that. 
And then um, we are at some point going to talk about 1983. So I thought yeah, I'd baby. set the table for that and also make stuff feel dutifully old. Mm-hmm. Um, but the week that we are recording this in 1983, the Smiths released their very first single, Hand in Glove. And um, huh. say wow. what you want about the lead singer of the Smiths. Um, that <laughs> band changed a lot of people and how they viewed music, what they listened to, and mm. the what music did for them to get them through. Um I learned to appreciate guitarists through Johnny Marr. So that that's uh, that's what I got. I love that first cool. record. Yeah. All right, Steph. All right. Well, mine is mine is not a music thing, but it has to do with music. Okay, that's you can just edit that right now. <laughs> mine is <laughs> my pick is actually a podcast. Um, Julia Louis Dreyfus has a new pi- podcast called Wiser Than Me. And it is, Mm. she speaks to women who are older and wiser than she is. (laughs) And the guests have been just out of this world. But the latest one I heard was Darlene Love. And it was just an hour of awesomeness. Just Darlene Love was so open and and her stories were fantastic. She's talking about Dionne mm. Warwick and being, you know, what actually be, they became super great friends. But like she was talking about her career as a, you know, singing backup, but then really coming into her major success as a solo artist starting at age 40. And I was just fascinated by the whole, the conversation was just so wonderful. So I, wow. The, 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 the podcast is always really interesting, but wow, Darlene Love just blew me away. So I, and she was talking about, you know, suing Phil Spector being the only one that was able to like successfully sue him and, you know, really mm. stand up for her rights. Yeah. Uh, Cause he just kept, you know, kind of pushing her down and not, not letting her come out and be a, you know, this, the singer that she could be, you know? Wow. It was fantastic. So I, I highly recommend the podcast to anyone really, because it, there's always some gems of wisdom that come out from these women that are just are mind blowing really. But this, the Darlene love one was amazing. That is very cool. I love Julia. Oh, she's, she's you a know, great she, interviewer too. She was a cast member on Saturday night live for Hell three yeah. or four years. That's way, right. way, way back in the, in the eighties and loved that? her. See how I did that. I know, it's very clever. <laughs> Didn't even mean to. <laughs> right, so guess what? There's a new REM song this week. Really? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. It's actually a new Pretender song this week. It just sounds like it's an REM song. What? Yeah, the Pretenders have a new single out. It's called Let the Sun Come In. And when it starts... And the guitar part, it sounds exactly like an R.E.M. song. And I'll let you listen to it and you can see. And so you can be like, oh, my God, this is. And you'll fill in the blank with exactly the song title that it sounds like from the from R.E.M. But wow. it's a really good song. I'm actually not too. I don't think the the chorus is as catchy as the rest of the song is. I think the verses are really, really strong. But it's a it's a really good song. I, I really enjoy it. And I love hearing anything that the Pretenders put out. So um, I was didn't even know that they had a single coming out. I just happened upon it. And um, the day it came out and really enjoyed it. That was on the 12th, I think. No, that was on the 11th. The next day on the 12th. And I can't believe neither one of you brought this up. The new Spark single. 
Right. Nothing is as good as they say it is. And it is a fantastic song. And it's all about birth. This baby has just been born. And the baby is like, fuck this. I want to go back to where I was. And mommy, can you accommodate that? And it's just, it's so cute. And it's really funny. And it's a great song. So yeah, yeah. new spark single. And I don't, I, I meant to look up the release date for the album. If there has been one announced yet um, to see how long it is before we get the album coming out. But man, yeah, that's three, a really good song. Good pick. Three great singles from that, from that new album so far. And all different. Which mm-hmm. is great. completely different. And that's what I love about it. So, yeah, I'm, I can't wait for that album. All right. So we'll be back next week. And we have a very special guest that's going to be joining us. Ricky Bird, the guitar player in the classic lineup of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. He has been releasing some solo music and has a new single out. And we're going to be talking to him about that, about his history in the music business. And it's going to be phenomenal. So I hope you'll join us for that. So until next week, Stephanie, where can people find more about you? You can find me on Bandcamp under my name, Stephanie Seymour. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. You can find me on Instagram at there underscore are underscore birds. And you can find me at thereabirds.com and on all the platforms like Spotify and stuff like that. And if only the listening audience could see Rob flapping his wings as you're saying all those things. (laughs) So, Stephanie, how is There Was a Time doing over on the YouTubes? It's, it's, you know, I love it. It continues to go. It continues to go. Climb. It's almost right. now at 3.3 thousand. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. I know. I love it. And, you know, it's so cool that, like, still, it's been released for over a year now, and people, like, are still playing it here and there. So yeah. it's very, right. very cool. Thank you, people. Right. All right, Rob, where are people going to track you down? So uh, you can find me on KDHX on Wednesday nights hosting uh, Juxtaposition. Uh, which I've been doing since 1995. And um, it's Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Central. Show is also archived on our archive stream at kdhx.org. So if you're roller skating or at the grocery store or roller skating at the grocery store, you can listen to it when you get home. Uh, maybe you're recording Saturday Night Live and you're going to watch it on Wednesday because it's your only day off. You can listen to it later on the archive stream. Or you can just listen to it in real time like Stephanie and her husband do because yeah. they want to fall asleep. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, also, you can find me on Mondays from 6 to 8 Greenwich time uh, in the evening, 12 to 2 Central, 1 to 3 Eastern on uh, Louder Than War Radio uh, with a show called Antics that I host Um and play all kinds of records that I want. And the Need Coffee Podcast, WeekendJustice.com. And and where would listeners have heard something about Louder Than War recently? Um, that would be um, through this podcast that we are on right now, actually, yeah. because we had Mr. John Robb on. Um, on just know, last was, week. Just last week, as he was preparing to go to Estonia and... Um, his book is coming out in the States very soon, and we got him on the show, which was very cool. So Yes. Well, it comes out May 16th, so by the time people hear oh. this, it will already be out for about a week or so. Mm-hmm. So definitely go check that book out. It's It sounds phenomenal. 
for me, um, I've got a couple of other podcasts that I do. One of them is called Earth Station Trek. And it is, as you might guess, all about Star Trek. We do a weekly live show Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time. And then we release that as our podcast the next morning. So go check that out if you're a Trekkie. And I also have a show called Doctor Who A to Z. And my buddy Josh and I talk about random Doctor Who things every week. And that's a fun show. So go check that out. And I'll use that as a tie-in to say that our buddy Anthony, who is not here tonight, has a podcast also. It is called Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. And it is a Doctor Who podcast also. And they have reviewed classic Doctor Who stories from 1963 onward up through the middle of season 13. So there's a lot of content there for you to check out if you're a Whovian. All right, we'll be around next week. We'll see you then. Take care, everybody. Keep rocking on. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.